Hello, hello, and welcome to my reinvented podcast, Taboo, where we talk about all the things people are afraid to talk about. If it makes you uncomfortable, I'm probably going to talk about it. Life's too short for ambiguity, so thanks for listening, and here we go. Allow me to reintroduce myself. Well, here I go again. After the recent completion of a trip around the sun and the celebration of my 30th birthday last week, I felt divinely inspired to recreate my podcast. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Kristen. I'm 100% Cuban, and like most Cuban-Americans, I'm a Miami native, born and raised, spending 23 years of my life there. As a kid, you could find me on weekends cleaning horse poop on a farm in a neighborhood called Horse Country. I spent most of my free time outside, using my imagination and enjoying the sweet outdoors. If you ask me what I wanted to be when I was a kid, it was probably a singer. Music was always my passion, but somewhere along the lines, I conformed to normal societal constraints and became a quote unquote adult. I went to school, got good grades, and tried not to give my parents a hard time. When I was 15, my parents gave me a car under the premise that I had to pay for the gas and the insurance. I got my first job at Kentucky Fried Chicken, which I was able to withstand for a mere three months before I quit. I shortly after started working in after-school care with kids, then working as a private tutor with my then high school boyfriend, and working at summer camp to make money. I graduated high school and went to the University of Miami, where I got a bachelor's degree in biology with minors in chemistry and sports medicine. Undergrad wasn't hard academically, I had the mental capacity to show up and do well enough to get good grades, but I had just gotten out of my high school relationship, which at the time I thought would never come to an end. As things would have it, being single in college in a city as wild as Miami led me to a lot of late night partying and clubs. I drank till I couldn't remember much of anything the next day and would then do it all over again. During the day, I worked at the gym. I was a good employee. I always showed up on time, I was courteous to the patrons, and I had good leadership skills. I quickly got promoted to a, quote, facility supervisor for a whopping $10 an hour. At the time, I felt like I was rich. It was through working at the gym that I cultivated my love for fitness. I remember walking into my first yoga class and being the youngest person in the room by decades. The instructor was a thin older woman with a harsh voice, and she just kept running through what I eventually learned were called sun salutations. At the time, I was just going through the motions, getting my sweat on, but then one day something happened to me. While I was lying in Shavasana, I found myself in what most people would call nirvana, that peaceful state between the normal world and the spiritual world. As the teacher called us back to our bodies, I was sad to have to let go. But that experience opened the door to the spiritual realm for me, which has brought me to this point on my journey. I continued yoga intermittently for the next few years during undergrad, whenever I wasn't doing CrossFit or running or biking, but I never managed to find that bliss again. When I graduated from Miami in December 2013, it was the end of my time working at the gym, unfortunately, due to their student employment rules. And so that was the end of yoga for me, or so I thought. I then began working at Iran Eye Associates in Coral Gables, unsure of what my next steps in life were. Like most Miami jobs, I was hired because my dad knew a guy, and I promised I was smart and would learn the ropes quickly. I got two days of what you could call training and was quickly thrown to the wolves. Over the next year, I spent countless hours in traffic, 
angry, frustrated, and moving at approximately 10 miles per hour in Miami's greatest rush hour. Working at Aran was also the first glimpse I got into the medical field. Miami is mostly Hispanic, for those of you who don't know. And let me just say, Hispanics are not known for their healthy diets. The majority of the patients I saw were elderly, given that it was an ophthalmology practice, and so many carried diagnoses of diabetes, high blood pressure, high cholesterol, and the whole spectrum of the metabolic syndrome. Working with older Hispanic patients was challenging and fun. They liked to tell me stories about their lives, even though I had just asked them a simple question like, do you have any medical problems? I quickly realized that many of these patients enjoyed coming to the doctor. They would get picked up from their house on the Little Leong medical buses, and they would experience a childlike field trip with their fellow elderly friends. They'd all shuffle into the clinic elevator and come up to the waiting room, where they'd sit and eat pastelitos and drink cafecito, talking about Cuba and Fidel Castro. I'm sure that that was really great for their blood pressure and diabetes now that I look back in retrospect. These people loved to talk about their past and would often laugh at their jokes. But more than anything, they just loved when someone listened to them. One day, I was working with one of my favorite doctors, Dr. Arrosemena, an excellent glaucoma specialist, by the way. And she asked me, what are you going to do with your life? Confused and surprised by the question, I literally had no idea what to say. She looked at me dumbfounded and said, well, you can't be an eye technician forever. You're too smart for this. You should look into being a PA or something. I had no idea what a PA was, so when I got home that day, I looked into it. I realized it was a physician assistant, and it seemed like a promising career. I wanted to help people. I wanted to heal people. I wanted to change the world. I began to look for the prerequisites and applied for schools. Nine months later, I went to an interview in West Virginia. Yep, you heard that right. West Virginia a place with no direct flights from Miami. That should have been my first red flag. I got to the interview and was surprised to see I was the only brownish person in the room. Everyone was white, blonde, blue or green eyed. I got lots of interesting looks. No one was speaking Spanish. It was strange. I had never felt so out of place before. I remember leaving the interview and calling my mom and saying, oh my God, I could never live here. My second interview was at Wake Forest in North Carolina. The city seemed bigger. My taxi driver was black. It already seemed more promising. The interview day was a blur. They had us rotate through several activities which were testing us. Could we have a discussion with someone and professionally disagree with them? Could we work as a team player? Did we have any medical knowledge? I remember even being asked about why I got two C's in organic chemistry and telling the interviewer that organic chemistry was irrelevant to working as a PA. The only people who used organic chemistry regularly were chemists. Later on in the program, I found out that the guy who was interviewing me was the program director, and he applauded me for my honesty at the end of our preclinical year. Anyway, two weeks after that interview, I was in California with my cousin, and I got a, a phone call from Jamie McDaniel, one of the professors. She had called to let me know that I had been accepted. I could not believe it. I was in shock. I didn't even bother to interview anywhere else. I accepted that spot and I was ready to save the world. Two months later, on my regular 4.45 a.m. Monday morning drive to the Planet Fitness that was two miles from my house, this guy ran a flashing red light at a big intersection on 157th Avenue and he T-boned me in my car. 
I remember coming back to reality in the bushes in front of the Walgreens and EMS assessing me with their lights. I frantically tried to call my dad, who was definitely sound asleep, and I looked at the remains of my car, which literally looked like a crushed up soda can. I looked over at the Indian dude and his son, who were perfectly unscathed in their giant expedition. In typical Miami fashion, he didn't even look at me. As he gave his driver's license to the cops and they filled out the forms, do you think he even bothered to come over to me and ask, hey, are you okay? It's been eight years since that day, and I've never forgotten that man. Or the fact that he didn't even have the human decency to see how I was. But that's kind of the normal in Miami. That simple mistake or choice of him not stopping at the red light forever changed the trajectory of my life. I went from competing at in-house CrossFit competitions and small local competitions to attending physical therapy three times a week with the elderly. I remember being in complete denial about my physical state after that accident. I showed up at the CrossFit box I used to go to and tried to complete the WOD or the workout of the day a week later, and halfway through my knees were throbbing, swollen, and I could barely move. I was so embarrassed, I ended up leaving halfway through the class. I had never done that before. They say it's in moments that change your life that your life will never be the same. And man, was that true. After that accident, I stopped caring about partying. I stopped drinking. I let go of people who weren't helping me move forward in life. I cried almost every time I went to physical therapy. The guys who worked there thought I was crazy. I was totally mentally incapacitated by that car accident. Every day I looked at that huge chemical burn on my face and I said, why me? Why did this happen to me? What did I do to deserve this? I went from training for half marathons and marathons to sitting on my ass on my couch, bored out of my freaking mind. And that was when I remembered my good friend, yoga. I started to stretch my body. I focused on breath work. I started to shift my perspective and focus on all the things I could do. Started taking walks on my lunch break with my work mom, Yannick. I shifted my mentality from being a victim to being a victor. I remember going to NYC the week after my car accident and sitting on that subway and getting crazy stares from people. I mean, no offense, but it looked like I was on the losing end of an MMA match. The next six months were tough. I kept going to work every day, and all the elderly people were shocked when they saw my face. Like true Hispanics, no tenían pelo en la lengua. That's a Cuban saying. It means they had no hair on their tongue, if you translate it literally. They'd gasp and they say, Pero niña, ¿qué te pasó en la cara? Which translates to, oh my God, what happened to your face? I repeated my story about the airbag burn countless times. I got to relive my car accident every day for six months. I was faced with the PTSD of driving in Miami every day after that accident. I promised myself I wanted to live somewhere I could be a pedestrian after Miami. Luckily, my mom did a ton of research on burn treatments and Manuka honey is what saved my face. I applied that shit every chance I could. It was a sticky, goopy mess, but man, did it work wonders. If you saw me on the street today, you'd never know what I went through. May 2015 rolled around and I packed up my car and drove to North Carolina. It was time for a new chapter and I couldn't tell you how much I was looking forward to it. My boyfriend at the time had accepted a job in South Carolina, so we were living a few hours away from each other. What people don't tell you about moving to a new city is how damn hard it is. I went from the geographical South to the cultural South. I remember my first day of PA school. 
like it was yesterday. A giant room full of students. It looked like a little auditorium. But graduate school was a totally different ballgame. My classmates were from all walks of life and a range of ages. I had just turned 23 when the program started, so I was definitely on the younger end of the spectrum. I looked around the room. I had no idea where to sit. I chose a left side aisle seat. I searched the room for familiar features. I spotted two black girls, a brown guy, maybe five brunettes, and like 70-something blonde girls. As the weeks went on, I started to feel that same feeling I had in West Virginia. Later on, I realized what I was suffering was imposter syndrome. I constantly felt like I didn't belong, like I wasn't good enough, like getting into PA school was an accident. Everyone made friends quickly and developed their cliques, just like the books I read in middle school. I found topics of conversation difficult to relate to and longed for people speaking Spanish. I missed transparency. I missed croquetas. People can say whatever they want about Miami, but let me tell you something. If there's beef in the room, someone will clear the air. In the South, it felt like this weird tension where I'd say something and people all silently judged me. And I wished I could reenact that Homer Simpson gif where he disappears into the bushes. My parents would call me every week and ask me how our class is going. Fine. I'd always say. They'd ask me if I made any friends and I always struggled with what to say. I was homesick beyond words, but I didn't even know how to name that feeling. The South is one of those strange places where everyone's so nice, but you still feel pretty lonely. The South also is one of these weird places where they have really weird rules about alcohol. Like I remember going to Harris Teeter early on a Sunday morning to buy some wine with my groceries and the cashier looked at me stunned. She had this sweet southern accent, and she said, Honey, you can't buy alcohol yet. Confused, I responded, Why not? I'm 21. Here's my ID. I reached into my bag to show it to her, and she said, Bless your heart. You must not be from around here. My brown hair and brown eyes must have given me away then, because she explained that, On the day of the Lord, alcohol can't be purchased until afternoon. Flustered, I told her to keep the wine and thanked her as I power walked out of the store with my groceries. I remember thinking to myself, okay, so I can't buy the wine at 11.59, but at 12.01 I can? Yeah, sure, that makes a lot of sense. It was situations like that that really made me question societal rules and why they were still in effect. Coming from Miami, I was used to walking out of a club at 5 a.m. and going into the bakery an hour later for breakfast. I realized Miami was a bubble an island, if you will. There is no other place in the U.S. like it. PA school continued to go on, and my first semester of finals came up. For some comical reason, they decided to call it Spa Week, as if it was in any way relaxing. Spa actually stood for Standardized Patient Assessment Week. The passing requirement was an 80 or above for every section. For the patient exam, I ended up getting a 79. This was not undergrad. There was no negotiating grades here. I was forced to remediate with the instructor for several weeks and then retake the test to be able to pass the course. I was put on academic probation and had to meet with her weekly. I was given a free tutor, Kelly. I'll never forget her. God bless that woman. She was fun and personable, and she made learning medicine fun. She felt like a friend, and it felt so good to have one of those again. I remember meeting with the class instructor one week, and she asked me if I had a study group. I teared up and told her I was having a hard time making friends. She told me to just be myself and be more outgoing, because PA school was nearly impossible to get through alone. 
A few weeks later, I put my big girl pants on and saw this girl, Jessie, in a study room alone. I asked if I could study with her, and she was like, yeah, sure. As the universe would have it, after that day, she became my best friend. I couldn't have survived PA school without her. We did everything together, from pharmacology walks to hot yoga to music nights to cooking. I am grateful for her every day because the story may have turned out quite differently without her. I am pleased to report we're still friends, and I actually officiated her wedding in September. It is an honor to have her in my corner, and she reminded me of home. Wake Forest would not have been the same without her, and I make sure to tell her every time I see her. May 27 rolled around, and I graduated PA school. It was bittersweet because my boyfriend at the time decided to break up with me the month before graduation. We had planned to live together in his family's apartment in NYC. I had accepted a job offer in Queens already, and I had no idea what to do. I remember spending a large amount of time curled up in fetal position in my bed, mourning the end of that relationship, because of course, I thought he was the one. We went from talking about marriage to talking about how we were going to handle our future celebratory Canada trip that we had previously planned. I spent time studying for my boards, going to my cardiology rotation, which were excellent distractions. I passed my boards with flying colors and was then confronted with what the hell I was going to do next. A week before the Canada trip, I finally called him to see if he was coming with me or not. We ended up going together as weird friends, but not really, and got to experience that interesting roller coaster together. We flew back into NYC, and I made him go apartment hunting with me because I was unfamiliar with the neighborhood. He helped me choose an apartment, and I flew back to Miami and decided this was it. I was closing my Miami chapter for now. I figured I had spent 23 years of my life there, and I could always go back if it didn't work out in New York. I signed my lease in stone, packed up my shit, and moved to New York. Oh yeah, I forgot to mention I got my dog Kona the second year of PA school. She took that one-way flight with me to LaGuardia Airport, and from there we hopped in a taxi to my new apartment in Sunnyside, Queens. Kona and I met the moving truck that drove my 25 boxes of stuff to NYC and unloaded everything. It was official. I was on my own. I was living in New York City this time without any significant other, and ready for what the world had in store for me. I rented a Home Depot truck, bought furniture from Ikea, assembled it all on my own, and rocked the independent woman life. It was hard. I cried. I struggled. I screamed. But man, did I learn. I grew, and I realized how powerful I was. Credentialing for a PA takes forever I moved to New York on July 1st, 2017, and I waited until September to start working. Of course, I had a $2,000 rent to pay, and I lived alone, so I got a job walking dogs on the WAG app and working at Ben & Jerry's Ice Cream with a master's degree. Running was my sanity. Biking was my sanity. Dogs were my therapy. I was hustling and trying to make the dream work. The week I finally started the training for my job in September, which was in the Bronx, a lovely one-hour train ride away from Queens, I got doored biking on Steinway. For those of you who don't know, getting doored is when you're biking down the street and a car happens to throw the door open and it hits you and knocks you off your bike. I was coming pretty quick from walking a dog in a tank top and shorts, no helmet, yay, health professional, and I ate the pavement. In true New York fashion, just like a movie, all the pedestrians who were waiting to cross the street at the intersection swarmed around to help me up and see if I was okay. 
I looked relatively unscathed, but my right thigh was super swollen and looked like an orange, and I couldn't walk on it. That poor driver who double parked and didn't look before throwing open his car door was nice enough to take me and my mangled bike to the ER and give me his insurance information. After an x-ray and two hours of sitting there waiting to hear that no bones were broken, I was thrilled that it was just soft tissue damage. I took an Uber home with my broken bike, rested, limped around the block with Kona on her walks, and prayed my leg would heal so I could go to work and make money to pay my rent. I learned I should definitely wear a helmet when biking, stay far away from car doors, avoid biking on Steinway and all major roadways, and always make sure I have health insurance. I also learned that if you get hit by a car as a pedestrian or a cyclist, their car insurance will pay for any damages. So luckily, I got my bike fixed for free through the guy's Geico insurance. Thank you, Geico. So anyways, I started working at my new job with Urban Health Plan. I signed a deal with the National Health Corps on the side to get $50,000 of my whopping $170,000 of student loan debt paid off up front in exchange for a two-year commitment at a federally qualified health center, a.k.a. I sold my soul to the devil. Let me tell you, as a new grad, there is a lot they don't tell you in school about job offers and work life. I took that job offer for $90,000, which as a new graduate who was making like $11 an hour at an eye office sounded like $1 billion. But when you live in New York City and your rent is $2,000 a month, that money disappears real fast. After three months working there, I completed my probation period. They gave me a perfect score on my evaluation and my supervising physician loved me. I asked for a raise since it was obvious to me and everyone at my job that I was being grossly underpaid and horribly overworked. I got a $15,000 pay raise and was so happy. $105,000 for a 25 year old with no husband and no kids. I was rich. I made it. That's what I thought at least. And then I became an adult. Every day I showed up for work. At the same time, I watched my coworkers show up an hour later than they were scheduled. No one said anything. I watched grown adults sit in exam rooms and pretend they were seeing patients because they were tired and burned out. I saw more people get hired and quit within six months than I had ever seen before. I mean, imagine. I'm working in primary care with undocumented immigrants and like 95% of them are Spanish speaking only. There were about 10 providers who worked with me and maybe two or three of them spoke fluent Spanish. The rest relied on other employees for interpretation, which makes the job 10 times harder. My boss and I did good work there. The patients grew to love me because I actually cared about them. I took my time explaining basic nutrition to them. I educated them on diabetes. I listened to their problems. And let me tell you, these people have real problems. Not first world problems like, oh, I want a new iPhone or, oh, my God, my boyfriend just broke up with me or, oh, I wish I could go to the gym today. I'm talking about people being raped by family members, people coming in wanting to commit suicide, four families living in a room so they can pay the rent, kids don't go to school and the parents have no idea where they are. Real problems. As you can imagine, this place helped me grow. The learning curve was huge. I learned how to remain professional. I learned how to stand my ground. I learned how to speak up for patients. I learned how to set boundaries on men who sexually harassed me after medical consults. Being a female in the medical world is still a work in progress. The idea of a doctor being an old dude with gray hair is still a real thing, y'all. I got humbled on a daily basis. I felt true gratitude for my job and my health and the good fortune I had been blessed with in this lifetime. 
But after three years of working there, the work ethic from my colleagues sucked. Half of them hated their job. Half of them hated their home lives. Most just were genuinely overworked and burnt out and tired and miserable. There's a quote that says, the universe will make you so uncomfortable, sometimes you have no choice but to leave. And that was me. That was how I felt. Work became a drag. I was tired of having to see 25 patients a day because I was one of the few people who felt bad for the patients. I was tired of asking for change in company policies and having the site manager glance at my proposal for five seconds and say no because she could. I was tired of asking for a raise even though I was the only provider who worked overtime. I saw more patients than any other provider every year and had one of the highest patient satisfaction scores, but that meant nothing. After working there for three years, things were getting worse instead of better. I started applying for jobs and got offered jobs on the spot at every interview I went to. Apparently, it's hard to find good clinicians who actually care about the patients nowadays. I accepted a job at CityMD and let my boss know with two months notice, not two weeks, two months, because I knew they were going to have a horrible time rescheduling all my appointments. My patients brought me gifts and they were so sad that I was leaving. I felt like I was betraying my community, but my mental health had plummeted so much with COVID, the thought of transitioning primary care to telemedicine was beyond me. My old job and my new job overlapped for a few weeks, and then it was time to say goodbye. On October 1st, 2020, I walked away from my job at Urban Health Plan, both sad and excited. Another bittersweet ending and a new beginning. Like all new things, I started at CityMD initially enamored. We have medical scribes who assist us with all of our notes. They take vitals on patients. They do point of care tests like strep, flu, COVID. I started at the peak of the pandemic in October of 2020, so the patient visits were skyrocketing. There were days I came home and had seen 100 patients. Yep, you heard that right. 100 patients. Just me. On average, I was seeing anywhere from 70 to 100 patients in a 12-hour shift. The hours were long, the work was exhausting, but I was getting paid way more than my previous job, so I couldn't complain. But like every honeymoon phase, there's only so long before it's over. I quickly realized I was a broken record. Of the 80 patients I saw, half of them all had the same symptoms, the same concerns, the same questions. I repeated the same answers to all their questions robotically. By the end of the shift, my empathy tank was depleted. As you can imagine, the scribes who get paid slightly more than minimum wage quickly burned out. I advocated for raises for them, but like most corporate companies, the bottom level employees aren't valued as much. Us providers, they treat us like royalty. But the rest of the employees, they don't care if they quit or not. They see it as a revolving door. It's been almost two years of me working at CityMD, and I can't say things have gotten better. Medicine in New York City appears to be more a practice of slapping on band-aids instead of focusing on actual prevention. People come in for a myriad of reasons, literally ranging from a paper cut to a partial finger amputation. The levels of wealth drive the entitlement and patients get upset because I don't give them antibiotics they request even after I explain to them why they don't need them. The amount of berating that I encounter as a 30-year-old female mid-level practitioner is astonishing. Anything from you're the doctor to I only want to see an MD to wow, you look awfully young. Are you sure you know what you're doing? This career that I originally chose because I wanted to save the world has become so emotionally exhausting and frustrating that I question why I work in medicine almost every day. All of this introduction to say, this podcast I'm launching is to talk about all the things people don't want to talk about.
the good, the bad, and the ugly. I am tired of having conversations with people and sharing how much I make and having them look at me shocked that I shared that. Why is talking about salaries with coworkers so taboo? Why aren't we more open and honest with each other? Transparency makes everything easier for everyone. I've always been an open book, but I'm here to speak up about the shit no one wants to talk about and any other topics you guys throw my way. So, if you're still listening, stay tuned for some raw, honest, real conversations, and thank you for joining me on this journey. I feel like I've already lived 10 lives in this one lifetime, and I still have so much more to go. Stay tuned for the next episode, and please like, rate, and share this podcast if you enjoyed it. Have a wonderful day or night, wherever you may be. Sending you so much love. Kristen.